Welcome to Cardboard Philosophy, the board game podcast where we talk about nothing serious, seriously. Each episode, we randomly pick from a list of niche, deep board game topics and have at it. So we invite you to join us at the table, listen in on our conversations, and let us know what you think. Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome. I'm Evan, and as always, joining me, Robert and Steve. How are we doing? Great. Not bad. Excellent. Not bad. Let's roll some dice and get right into this. Okay, so we got question numero four, which is, what gives a game soul? It's uh, a Robert question, so uh, take us away. So this question came from hearing people, including myself, describe games as soulless or soulful. Often I think I hear it in the negative, where they'll say, oh, that game was soulless. And I think they, they maybe mean dry, like, you know, you might describe a, often a Euro game as being a dry Euro, and I think that's pretty synonymous with soulless. So just what does that mean? What do we mean when we say a game is soulless? Is it just dry? Is it something else? And then where do games get soul? Like if a game is soulful, what does that mean? Where do you get it? And then do we have any examples of soulful and soulless games? And the final thing I want to talk about is, is that objective or subjective? Can we objectively say that's a soulful game and that is a soulless game? Or is it totally a matter of opinion? So yeah, just uh, whatever you guys want to start with, let's just talk about soul in games. My first thought is like theme. When I think of a dry Euro game, like you were just saying, like the opposite of a soulful game, a soulless game feels dry. It To me, dry kind of feels similar to not having a very good theme or a very engaging theme or like an abstract game, right? Like a completely abstract strategy, something. Does that feel dry or soulless? Not necessarily, but kind of feels like it's it's like a different axis, but it's like related maybe? That's my first thought. Does the lack of theme draw attention to the fact that it is more dry? It, like, Because what I'm thinking with this question is, I, I don't think I've ever played chess and thought this is soulless. I'm not a big fan of chess. It's dry, but I don't mm. know if I've ever thought of it as being a soulless game. Yeah. Where for me, if I'm describing something as soulless, it's usually more of like a corporate IP game where it's clearly they've just thrown a bunch of mechanics into a box, slapped a coat of paint on it that I recognize, and I said, here, you really like XIP. XIP is my favorite TV show of all time. So <laughs> I think I'd buy that. Uh, yeah, I don't think it has much to do with theme, actually. I think it has to do with personality mm-hmm. yeah. more than anything. So if a game doesn't have a strong theme, I think then it's very likely for it to also not have a strong personality. I think lots of games do get their personality from theme, but some games can get their personality from mechanisms as well. Mm-hmm. Often, like, a game's rough edges, that will be precisely what gives it soul. And if you, like, cut a game down too much, it'll mm-hmm. become soulless. It might become too balanced, too, too streamlined. And then you kind of lose that. But it's also very true, as you said, Steve, that a Euro without a theme and also no rough edges or nothing exciting in the mechanics will definitely come off as soulless. So now I'm thinking it's about or related to um, intent or like the intentionality of the designer, right? Like a lot of times I think of good design often feels like a good gift where you feel like, oh, somebody like really thought ahead and anticipated 
like this situation that I would be in. Like they anticipated that I would be here wanting this thing or having this problem or this desire. And they gave me this thing that helps me do that or get there or it brings me this satisfaction or something. So like a good game, a well-designed game will feel like the designer said here, like I did a bunch of testing. I did a lot of research. I did a lot of work and I put a lot of effort and intent and everything is here for a reason. And here you go. And it feels good. It feels like they really thought ahead. So that to me would feel like it had a lot of soul. Like it's kind of like good cooking or like a, a really nice gift or something that somebody like really handcrafted. It would have a lot of like their intent like be evident you know even if it's a little rough around the edges like you're saying that can sometimes be another cue that somebody really a real human made this for you so would you then say that for you it's a bit of a link between the mechanics and the thematics that are creating the soul because it's kind of sounding like you're describing a little bit of that thematic and mechanical linkage there yeah i think they both work together right like the designer maybe isn't always thinking about the theme as much or at first, but like the two, like it can help elevate the mechanics and it all kind of works together to bring the designer's thing to you. I have a case study that I think could help us if we've all played it. Have we all played Stevenson's Rocket? Yes, we have. Love that. Okay. Uh, so I'll describe the game in a moment, but I think it is an incredibly dry game and the theme does not make any sense with the mechanisms, but it is the, a very soulful game. The last thing I would use to describe it is soulless. I think it's lively, it's exciting. I'm just so happy while playing it, but it's so dry. So the game's theme is that we are investors in railroad companies. You might think of it as being like an 18xx, if you've heard of those, or Cube Rail or something like that, but it doesn't play like one of those. It plays more like a tile layer um, where we are all building out the roots as we go, and the trains are crashing into each other. And the, the core conceit is to get the most points, which is supposed to be like money, but you never spend it. And on your turn, all you do is like two of three things. And so it's really simple. It's got like the Canizia DNA for sure, but it's completely built around shared incentives where we both obviously benefit or are harmed by this train moving or, you know, the, this city being met by one of the train lines. And so it's, it's, it's an economic game in the sense that it's about shared incentives, but it's not really a train game. Um, it, it feels too abstract to be that. And the rules are just completely mechanical. I don't think it's easy to explain them thematically. Uh, why certain things, like mm. why, why do we score this way when we meet a town? What, what even is a passenger? Why do I not get a passenger when I go through one of mine? I don't even remember right now. I'd have to read it again. But like mm. you get passengers when, when trains go through yeah. your tunnels, but not other people's or something like that. And it just does not really make that much sense. Um, and so when I sell people on it often i will ironically say it's a, a super dry game so be prepared for 10 minutes of just rules with no real explanation but the play is so soulful and i think what gives it that are its rough edges a large part of the game is in moving these trains uh on this map of england and whenever somebody moves the train anybody at the table can just say i veto that i'm not going to let you move that and you have to bid your shares to veto that train's movement um, you veto the direction it moves, not that it moves or not, but it can be a huge deal. And that kind of on principle seems crazy. A game where whenever somebody makes a move, pretty much anybody can say no and change the mm -hmm. outcome of that move. That doesn't seem like it would work. And it frustrates some people, but for those of us who like this game, it works and it gives it that soul. So I'm just curious how you guys feel about what I consider a dry game 
yet a very soulful one and if that fits into what we've been talking about so far i think that's a really good case study to show that the opposite of soulful isn't necessarily dry because while i wouldn't describe i personally wouldn't describe stevenson's rocket as being a very soulful game but i agree with you that it is a very dry game but i don't think it lacks soul if that makes any sense like it's not the first game that would come to my mind in that conversation but i don't think i would describe it as being soulless dry yes but not soulless there is intent there there is uh, design there there is uh, interaction there that's really really enjoyable and really really engaging but it's not soulless so i think that kind of uh, if, if you're going to fall on the side of like the soul is coming from the player interaction and Steve is going to fall on the side of the soul is coming from the linkage between the thematics and the mechanics, I think I kind of fall in the middle of there where it's like how is the mechanics and the theme creating interaction amongst the players. And I think that's why I would kind of classify it more as being dry than soulless. I think there's like something about the novelty or like what you said originally at the top about it having the like character or personality um yeah like that's coming back to me now when you're talking about stevenson's rocket it's like yeah rules wise it's kind of dry thematically it like it's there but it doesn't really make sense or like tie the rules together in a way but there's like something about just the weird goofiness of how the game plays and it kind of goes to what you're saying that that it and in a way the fact that so many games would never say you can anybody who makes a move anybody everybody else can veto them that's kind of what makes it unique is because in so many games that wouldn't be that would be so just weird and so the fact that you can do that is so unique and novel and interesting and then the game is almost based around that or built around that where like you have to plan and kind of anticipate and when it happens it's so weird and when you do it to somebody else it's so weird and the whole game is just so weird and that makes it it's just like this weird interesting character that you're like what a what a what an interesting person that is you know but it's not a person it's a game yeah I, I like that 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 take on it that you kind of treat it like this is an interesting person. Maybe it's not my favorite person. I don't think I could be friends with them. <laughs> but talking talking to them for forty five minutes that's a good time. I learned something that I hadn't known before. I get a new perspective, and I think games can certainly be that way. They're eccentric, exactly. Yeah. And as as we were talking about it, I actually think that a game's personality or soul can come not just from mechanics or a theme, but even from components. So like the Jordan Draper games, like Tokyo Tsukiji Market, that's, it's a little weird. It's certainly a very open like market where you can sell whatever you want at any price you want and people can buy it or not. And the game is fragile in that sense. But it's basically like we're in Tokyo, we're selling fish to each other and all the fish have different rules about how much they're worth and how much they can be sold for and how they can be bought and sold. But it's not a complicated or particularly strange game, but it's very small. All the bits and pieces are tiny, and they're all uniquely crafted wood shapes. They've got like little lobsters, you know, little salmon, little octopi um, that you're selling back and forth, and that actually gives it soul. That gives it character. It's different when you when you put it out on a table. It does not look like any other market game. Mm -hmm. It looks like its own unique thing, mm -hmm. and I think that makes you feel as though the game is more unique than it actually is. And so the components are really influencing how I treat the game's design even though they have nothing to do with the design i.e the rules themselves so i just thought about that and i think that's a totally other way to judge character or soul i think that kind of goes back to what steve was saying earlier with the ethereal intent of like what the designer is doing and how he's linking it to the theme like jordan draper is 
I think running the entire show over there. Like I think he does the art and the designs and everything. It's sort of like a Ryan so. Lockett game as well, where you know he's doing the art, he's writing the story, he's making the mechanics, and so it feels a, almost like an auteur film where you're going into this and you're mm-hmm. getting one person's vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think his whole like Tokyo series was inspired by going to Tokyo and just loving it. And then just making a bunch of games on it. He's got a Metro one too that feels weird and looks weird. So yeah. So if that covers what has soul, what doesn't? Well, I think you said earlier like when it feels like it's just like a cash grab or just like somebody just kind of threw some stuff or like grabbed an IP and said, here's the whatever, whatever, the card game now. You know, like if it feels like the the work wasn't put in to to play test and you know do all that stuff and make it a good refined interesting game it just kind of came from a place of let's just make it or whatever well i think good well-balanced playtested games can also feel soulless to some people yeah um true like true. carpe diem a stefan feld game and i could probably name many other stefan feld games that people would consider <laughs> as dry soulless euros but some of them i like including carpe diem and I think it just has to do with what a player is looking for in their game. Like Carpe Diem is a very solitaire activity. It's quick. It's breezy. And so if you look for interaction, then the game will be missing that and it'll be missing character. You'll be like, oh, this is just another Euro because you, you, you don't see those nuances between the solitary games because you don't like them. Um, whereas for somebody who isn't into interaction, they could even describe a very interactive game as being soulless because it doesn't let them engage with the kind of personality they want to engage with so i don't think it necessarily has to do with being a bad game although i would agree that most quote-unquote bad games would be soulless because of the reasons you described but the subjective part of the soulless is like where do i find and look for character in games and that changes person to person game to game i wonder though if it's possible to look past that because i'll use movies as an example because this is something that um i've had to deal with a little bit um over the years is like i can go into a movie in a genre that i don't generally frequently engage with like let's say horror and if it's a really well-made film i might not necessarily like it but i can appreciate the craft that went into it and i can still have something resonate with me within that genre even though it's not something that i normally engage with is that not theoretically possible if there's soul in the game to still have it resonate with you because there is that extra little bit of ethereal intent being inserted into it? And would that then potentially mean that some of those drier euros feel soulless because they are more mechanically focused and the designer isn't really worried about emulating anything or creating anything unique? It's more so creating a system that you can then engage with in a very mechanical way. And that's what's causing it to feel soulless, even if you're not normally into multiplayer solitaire. I mean, at the very least, you just said about it feeling unique. And I think that's potentially part of it is if it feels like, or Robert, you said earlier, like, oh, it's just another Mm -hmm. Euro, another dry, you know, like if it feels like another something, then it kind of feels like, oh, this isn't like its own unique, interesting person or personality or character. This is just kind of like another one of those. It's a, another cookie cutter, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I agree with what you guys are saying, but I think what I'm trying to say is that 
if I appreciate a certain mechanism or a certain type of game, then I'm able to identify the subtleties between them better. And so to me, mm. you know, I don't know. Um, come on, Seffenfeld games, come to me. Uh, Bora Bora and Castles of Burgundy are very different games. Whereas for somebody who doesn't enjoy that style of game as much or who hasn't played it as much, they're like, oh, it's like the same thing because, you know, they both have dice and victory points. And that's that's all they need to see the differences of. And that to them is just same game. But for somebody who's more appreciative of those things or maybe more experienced with them, then they're able to call two things unique, even though they might seem very alike to a different person. So I agree with you, but I'm saying that's a very subjective uniqueness. Like you can't easily yeah. say something is objectively unique unless it's so weird. Like, you know, I think Stevenson's Rocket, most people would say is unique because yeah. it's just so weird. It's in its own genre of thing. Um, but within genre, there is also uniqueness just for the super fans of that genre. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. So it's almost that you can't appreciate the soul of some of those things because you're not as in the weeds as you are in like your preferred genre. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that I think that holds like you were saying, Evan, for other types of art. You know, when you think of a, a movie or a book or even a person that feels very soulful, you know, I think these things all kind of hold. What I'm thinking about right now is the discussion around how objective we can quantify whether or not a game has soul. And I think your comments might put it on ice a little bit where you're always going to have some people that just don't like those mechanics. And so they're going to naturally bounce off of the conversation of whether or not it has soul. But I do feel like using the Stevenson's Rocket example, if we're going to say that soul is the eccentricities that a game has, is that not then quantifiable? Because like you get a game, or I'll use one that's on Kickstarter right now, uh, with a publicly available mod called Fractured Sky, which is a area majority bidding game with bluffing. And those are all mechanisms that don't normally go together in a game. I can't really think of a ton of examples for them. There's like resource gathering, so it's got a little bit of a Euro ingredient to it. Like it's kind of quirky, kind of weird. Even if you hate all those mechanisms, I think you could arguably say that that is soulful because it's not something that you would normally experience. Using the person analogy... You're saying, imagine a person who has all of these qualities you don't generally like in people, but because one person has it, it makes that person unique. I don't think somebody who doesn't like those qualities will take the time to discover that uniqueness. They'll just be like, oh, you have that quality, I'm out. And I think the same thing would happen with a game that has all of these you know, unique things mushed in together. People who don't like those things wouldn't call it soulful. They would spend five minutes with mm-hmm. it and say, I don't like this, and leave. So like, there's no, there's no time to know the game and i think you need to know the game to call it soulful that's why i think it's more subjective than you think it is on paper if you told somebody here's a game with resource management bidding bluffing and area majority i don't think that's enough for them to say oh that must be a soulful game i think there's some like secret ingredient that ties them all together somehow that adds the soul you can't just like throw five unique mechanisms and just automatically be soulful Mm. it needs something else like there's some secret sauce that I think only arises via more playtesting. It's that uh, thematic linkage that Steve's talking about. I think it's the intent. I think it's sort of like when, when a creator has a very clear and direct intent and it comes across, and especially when it feels kind of unique and different, 
um, to me, that feels very, I don't know if that's like my definition of it, but. I don't know if that's objectively measurable though, because it's like, oh, well, clearly the creator wanted to do this. It's like, no, I think he wanted to do this. So like, you can definitely overread into things. But I think of the like, I'm thinking of Through the Ages right now, which is like this big civilization style yeah. game of like, you're, you're drafting cards and you're playing cards. Like the intent of that game, I think just by playing it was, we're gonna make a deck of cards and we're gonna have this huge epic sprawling Civ game with nothing but cards and cubes, no map. And they, I would argue, pull it off. And I think that game has sold because of that in that it could have been a very dry, formulaic game, but it's not. So I think if you wanted to try to measure it, it would probably come down to how well is that intent landing? And so that is kind of subjective, right? From person to person, it's not going to hit with everybody. But if you wanted to try to, I think that's where you start getting into like polls and averages and how mm -hmm. well a game sells, which isn't always indicative because there's all kinds of other layers and factors there. But just in general, you could look at some group of people and see how many people does that intent come across and land and feel interesting. And if it does in fact work and get communicated to enough people, then it's kind of objectively working. It's kind of there. It has something clearly because, you know, 75 or 80 out of 100 people said, yeah, that's pretty, it's pretty interesting, unique little game there, you know. Intent is the, is the hard or the, the most difficult part of all of this to, for me to really get behind. I think, I think the way that we might measure it would be assuming intent one how how well does this intent come across and then assuming intent two how well does that come across and so the, su the subjective part is like assuming an intent and once you have assumed an mm -hmm. intent which i think is very subjective then you could objectively measure how well that comes across and then you can do some objective measure of soul but to get anywhere you need mm -hmm. to assume the intent which i think is impossible to do unless you are the creator themselves and truth be told the creator's intent will change throughout the project too so it's really hard mm -hmm. to just land on one mm. intent. Um, but in some sense, the best games, you should be able to impose your own intent on it, and it delivers. And it delivers on many different intents mm. for many different people, and that's why so many different people love that game. What I'm trying to say is, I don't know if it matters if that actually was their intent. It matters if the intent you impose works. And that's why different people call different games soulless or not, because I will impose an intent mm -hmm. on that game that you did not, and my intent comes through, yours doesn't. So for you, it's dry, but for me, it's soulful. That makes sense. I, I think I would agree with all that. We did it. Impromptu uh, segment about favorites. Well, should we do favorite soulful games or most soulful game? Oh. Like, what do we think is the most soulful game mm. we've ever played? How about that, as opposed to just our favorite? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Let's do that. I think I would say it's Lisboa. Lisboa is the most soulful game you've played? Really? I don't think we've gotten anywhere in this discussion well, because I disagree. <laughs> Continue. Well, if we're going to use soulful as a way to talk about arterial intent and like some weirdness to it, it's a weird game. It's got weird mechanisms. It's very dry in some regards, but it also has a lot of theme. I would argue kind of tacked on, but it also, when you're playing, it feels like a game that Vitalicerta has always wanted to make. And it feels like he's really trying to 
breathe some life and breathe, put some attention on something that's important to him. And he's done it in this like incredible production, which has all this lavish art on it. It feels like it's come right out of Portugal. I think you could make an argument for it being fairly soulful. Now, this is making me think that our whole definition is a little off. All right. <laughs> or, or that there's a layer we've been missing or kind of dancing around, which is that I think for you, the player, like what it brings out in you is a huge part of it. And that's kind of what you're saying, Robert, just a bit ago, of like the, the intent that you impose on it, like what you actually get out of it. Yeah. Be, which is different from what the designer, you know, like I think all of that, what Evan just said is true, but it almost kind of doesn't matter because he feels that. You know what I mean? Like right. he believes it. And so like for him, it does have a lot of soul. So who are we to say that it doesn't? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess in some sense then maybe a good definition for soulful might be the game that allows each player to express their individuality and their personality the most via the game. Maybe, maybe it's something like that or it's adjacent to that. See, I dig that definition a lot because that I think might actually hit the nail on the head for what makes me register a game like that I really, really like is how much individuality, how much agency is it giving me as an individual, even if we're all doing the same thing. And I will change my answer if that's going to be the definition. I mean, let me ask you, are you going to change your answer to a Reiner Knizia game? Probably. Okay, Have you because, listened to our podcast, Robert? <laughs> <laughs> because that, I think, is... Not I think, I know, at least he says, that is exactly what he designs for. He wants the game to allow you to express your personality and your individuality and for the rules to get out of the way. And so if that's the definition of soulful, he is the soul king of, of games, without a doubt. He's the BB king. Exactly. So... If that's what we're using, there's no way we don't all pick Knizia games. But I'm curious to hear what Steve, uh, what Steve's going to pick. Well, get ready. Okay. Because the one that's coming to mind for me, I'm looking through my list of games, and I'm going to throw out there a newer one, sort of newer one, uh, Dead Reckoning. Oh, okay. I don't know if either of you have played this one yet. No. no. It's a pirate game. It's kind of a deck-building game, but it has the clear cards um like i think mystic veil is the other big one that he did that had these cards and so you're not deck building you're kind of deck upgrading like you have a fixed deck and you will always have that crew those cards throughout the game you just slowly give them better and better stuff and it it sort of does a lot of what we've been we've been talking about to me it has a lot of player agency i feel like i can go and kind of craft and build and do what I want in whatever direction I want. And then there's this whole big map that we're all exploring and we're all getting in each other's way and I'm coming and raiding your island and taking over your fort. And it evokes such interesting stories and like that play, like just, I, I truly feel like I am my own unique little faction and you are you your own unique faction. And it's so interesting to me that we start from the same place, basically with the same deck. And then we slowly or actually very quickly start to like, differentiate ourselves and become like you don't have to be a pirate you can just be a sailor and sell stuff you know and so that i i love the the range of options you have there and it you feel pretty unique um and and i don't know it's it's i i think it's unique in a lot of ways i think the the little rolling the dice for battle where they come out the sides of the ship like there's something just really unique and goofy and weird about that that feels 
very novel and like, oh, I get it. The little cubes are shooting out like cannons and that, you know, and, and, and there's just something fun about those battles where everybody usually gets like a little something. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just a really cool, I, I think a very soulful game. I still don't know what my answer is because I think it's a very big question. But if I had to pick, I'm I'm tied between Yellow and Yangtze and Cat Blues. Wow, Cat Blues for the most soulful. Yeah, okay, I'll start with Cat Blues as my runner-up yeah, because I think Yellow and Yangtze is actually the winner. But Cat Blues is a card game that has six unique cards, 15 times each. That's it. And it is a combination of like rummy and bidding, I guess. But the reason I think it's soulful is precisely because of its rough edges. There are unwritten rules, kind of. There's, there's one big unwritten rule, which is that the way that you get points is by creating quartets, um, which is just four of the same number, playing it down and getting that many points. And if you do this early, you are just out of the game. It's so boring for you for the next 15 minutes. And no game now would ever do that. Like, they wouldn't let the player do that. They'd have some rule where you can't do it until later because it's just not fun. But kind of discovering that mm -hmm. and realizing it and being able to tell people about it. Like, when I teach them, I say, this is the rule, but you should not make a quartet until halfway through the game or until you see the points running out. And then I'm kind of, like, describing a person. Like, here's my friend. Here's something you should know about him that is not obvious. And that just gives it that quirkiness. Mm -hmm. um, so I would give it to Cat Blues as the runner-up. But the winner is Yellow and Yangtze. Um, because that allows me to express my personality through the game and my friends to express theirs. You can be like, you're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in my own little area doing my own thing, or I'm going to go and mess with your stuff, or I'm going to put the pressure on you, or I'm going to lay back and let us all chill for a bit. And the game is just filled with highs and lows, tension, moments of peace, moments of aggression, that I think people everywhere on the personality spectrum would be able to express themselves through that game. And it also has a few quirky rules that if you forget about could really mess you up. But if you remember, you can very cleverly use uh, for your game plan and to express yourself. So yeah, Yale and Yangtze takes the cake on most soulful game that I've ever played. I have another runner up. Yeah. I'll throw out there. Um, I've been playing a lot of the Detective City of Angels. Ah, and nice. I think yeah. that game is just kind of like dripping with like theme and it just feels packed to the gills with like intent and personality and like the creators just wanting to give you all the little parts of this. You get this big map and you all run around and you're all being detectives and like the way the rules are like normally I kind of get annoyed when rules use like terms and weird like thematic words that just confuse it but for some reason in that one i'm just like yeah you got your cash you got your scratch you know like yeah. and you start talking like gangsters and stuff and like or whatever i don't know it's just to, to me it's just very it has so much personality and it, it just feels like exactly the the feeling that I, I that i know they meant you know for it to have okay i i, I got one that isn't uh i'm gonna rescind my lisboa <laughs> <laughs> i think it's inish oh I like that okay. because it's got a lot of weird edges. It's got a lot of player agency where you can be super aggressive. You can just be really chill and build sanctuaries. You can kind of play a little bit of both. You can negotiate. You can not negotiate. Like it's a very open-ended game. And there's just such a fluidity to it where you could go like deep into these epic tale cards, which are going to be like these game-breaking cards. You are drafting cards. So you're, 
you know, you could be preventing your neighbor from getting one type of card, or you could be focused solely on what you want in your hand. I think it's such a wonderful little system and I love it. It has such a personality to it. And the art is gorgeous. If we want to talk about thematic linkage, like there is no game on the market that looks anything like Inish. Inish, Seasons of Inish. <laughs> Darn it, you got me. <laughs> the expansion. Well, is uh, is that it? I think have, so. have we determined what determines if a game has soul? Yeah, we've determined it's nothing objective, and uh, we've been talking about <laughs> nothing for thirty minutes, as we always do. It, it's a bi-weekly tradition at this point. Yep. Uh, if you want to get involved in the conversation or uh, leave some comments, some thoughts, be sure to shoot us a line at cardboardphilosophypod at gmail dot com. Uh, as always, we're available on all major platforms for podcasts, so we do encourage you to subscribe if you're not. And if you have not mentioned us to a friend and you enjoy this content, please be sure to do so because we would uh, love to get into their eardrums as well. Uh, as always, go play some games. Later. Implicit peace sign. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>